again, listeners. Welcome to another Footnote episode. Uh, I'm Alex Sargent. And I'm Chris Holliday. Today we're talking about stop-motion animation. We've done animation broadly, um, but we felt we could now... Uh, go into the world of, of the particular style of, of animation that is stop motion. I've already said the word style, I'm regretting it because I suspect Chris is going to pick me up on that in just a second. Um, but Chris, 10 minutes on stop motion, think you're up for it? Uh, well, yes, I'll, I'll, give it a, I'll give it a good go. All right, well, I got the easy job. I'm asking the questions this time. So, uh, off we go. Okay. What so, is it? Well, so, so I would say that in many ways stop motion... I think for a lot of practitioners, and I know stop motion is one of the most labor-intensive forms of, of, of animation, but in many ways I think it kind of crystallizes what animation is about in terms of the, the illusion of movement. So the definitions of animation rooted in uh, the, the ability of, of objects, of well, any object really in stop motion, objects, uh, puppets, to be awarded sentience and volition and intention as part of the kind of magic and wonder of, of, of animation. But the, And the reason I say that stop motion kind of crystallizes some of the, the issues around animation is because it's about moving an object incrementally, frame by frame. So moving an object, taking an image, moving an object, taking an image. And it's that sort of hands-on labor where any object can be made to move um, as part of that, as part of that illusion. Now, of course, when I say any object, it could be this coffee cup that's yeah. sitting in front of us. So, just so listeners, just to make yeah, yeah, sure yeah. We, we kind of yeah, prove yeah. this, what literally would you do to stop animate to stop animate stop motion animate a coffee cup? Okay, so I would um, I could build a set, but I didn't need wouldn't need to. No, sure. I could um, set up a camera and I would take a still image mm -hmm. of this uh, coffee cup, this mm -hmm. drunk coffee cup, I Good. should say, Good. Um, and I could do several things. I could take a photograph of it, and then I could move it a fraction to the left or to the right, or topple it over, or mm -hmm. part topple it over, take another picture, uh, move it again, take it. And part of that, again, going back to this sort of flipbook yeah. analogy, um, and again, actually, I think this is why uh, animation is often seen as, as including live action, because what is live action if not the illusion of still images sped up to create, to create movement? So you could take a series of probably about 24 a frame, let's say, a second. Sounds 24 good. frames a second, uh, and take 24 photographs of this coffee cup and have it move um, from the table as it is on the mm -hmm. right uh, to the other side of the of the table. I could also um, do something a little bit more extravagant. Sure. I could create a mouth, I could give it, I could characterize it. And mm -hmm. this is one of the big things of stop motion is that you can take any object and turn it into a sentient being. Pixar did a playful iteration of this with their computer animated shorts by taking a, a lamp. Um, but there are many, many artists working in, in America and across Europe, and, and actually Europe in particular has a, a particularly strong stop motion tradition. Um, Yuri Tninka, um, Jan Svankmeyer, two of perhaps the, the most well-known, uh, I would say, animators working in the sort of 70s and 80s, and then more recently the, the Quay brothers um, that Suzanne Buchan has written about in terms of them giving life yeah. and intention and, and the, the illusion of sentience to things like screws, screws that suddenly um, spin out seemingly of their own accord mm -hmm. and move as if they are um, kind of yeah characters of themselves so what are the where where did we first see stop motion appearing in in film history is it right at the beginning like the other animation forms we talked about in the yes previous one or is it kind of slightly later on it sounds quite labor intensive and quite technological to me so yes so i suppose one of the uh, it, it does have a tradition so it's not it's it's not like computer animated filmmaking. I think you can often map animation history in terms of it. It did its sell. It did its sort of post-war 
you know, the, the explosion of perhaps Eastern European um, stop motion animation, and then we mm. moved into the digital era. But actually, the breaks between those pit time periods are a lot fuzzier than we perhaps give them credit for. And this is definitely the case with, uh, we didn't move from cell animation to stop motion. Stop motion effects, well, first of all, you could argue that cell animation is a form of stopped motion in the way that drawings are drawn and you know, going back to the, the sort of lightning sketch tradition yeah, that we've talked about previously. Yeah, yeah. You made that point about live action already. Like actually, yeah. live action is essentially stopped motion and yeah. then played back. Yeah, got it, right. But I think probably one of the, the, the earliest and most pronounced stop motion animators is Starovich. Um, and he would make films using essentially dead insects and he would get these like grasshoppers and, and um, you know, mosquitoes, insects essentially, and, and get them to move across the screen and create little scenarios, create little sort of romantic comedies with, right. with um, yeah, with, with insects. And of course, um, in the, the fantasy animation book, we've got um, a chapter by Francis Agnoli that kind of talks about um, early, early stop motion in the kind of French and, and German context. So there are these traditions of stop motion in the, in the 10s and, and the 20s, but um, yeah, it's something that's as And I guess as in Hollywood, you've got people like, um, I know it's from my fantasy hat, uh, uh, like Willis O'Brien. And, yeah, um, yeah, so, that, so, the, so that's um, King Kong in the 30s. Yeah, Lost World, like, you know, yeah, creature yeah. features, right? Yeah. Yep. So it's used as a special effect in Hollywood, yep. and it's quite, like, technological and, in, and spectacular and, and labour-intensive and industry-intensive, but actually it sounds like in Europe it's actually the opposite. It's objects... Almost like a found object aesthetic. Yeah, going yeah. On. There's there's a lot of that sort of cabinet of curiosities aesthetic, I think. To uh, and whether that's whether that's absolutely true or not um, is up for debate. But there's certainly a sense in which there are certain animators being able to to create life as part of animations uncanny stop motion animations are uncanniness things that can't move suddenly move with the special powers of animation. And lots of writers again have sort of said that well, stop motion is 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 slightly different because the objects can only move through the magic of of the camera. They are, and unlike cell animation where there is only a drawing, if I move this coffee cup, there is still a coffee cup in front of me. Sure. I can hold it and pick it up, but it can't do the things that it does. And, and yeah. you know, in terms of movement, unless I view it through a camera and, and create an animation out of it. Uh, and, I, and actually I would say that there, there's a, a sort of accessibility, I think, to stop motion animation because a lot of kind of contemporary, um, I would say, apps on tablets and things you know a lot of workshops with with uh children animated workshops with children mm. uh, do use programs on a, on a on a device that allow them to create kind of plasticine models that walk and they create their own little stop motion so in many ways it's one of the most accessible ways of animating because you can kind of take any object in the world it doesn't have to be a puppet with movable joints yeah, it can yeah. be a coffee cup and you can create a character and personify it um and give it that sort of anthropomorphic if we like, we're sure. gonna, we'll probably do that another, as well. Another one. Another one. Um, but that sort of human, give human-like characteristics to any kind of object. So that's why, as I said right at the start, in many ways stop motion feels like yeah. the embodiment of what animation can do. It creates the illusion of movement where there is none. Right, you've got about three minutes left. Okay. We better do some contemporary examples. Like yeah, I'm thinking yeah. Aardman, I'm thinking Leica. Um, talk, yep. talk about Aardman, start with. They're the British studio that we've covered a few times on the podcast. They all use plasticine, right? Yeah, well, yes, they do. So, so uh, claymation, to, to take their, their sort of industrial term for the way that they work, is has sort of been in this... Oh, and I think we've talked about this before. There's oil and water relationship with CGI because a lot of contemporary stop motion films, uh, spectators seem to like to find the bits that aren't stop motion at all. Well, they use it with digital, and so I would say that they're they're 
there's a nice exchange, formal exchange in some of the Ardman films where you have perhaps CG backdrops, but you, right. and same with Leica as well. Um, you have CG backdrops, but very much there's a, a labour-intensive way of performing, and these characters with this really complex armature uh, that are allowed to move through the labour of the, the animators. So I think Ar- yeah, Arbel and Leica are, are two of the most pronounced contemporary. In an era of the digital, they are two of the most pronounced um, stop-motion studios. And I've just realised we haven't even mentioned Harryhausen yet, so you've got a minute. Harryhausen, because that seems to also fit with what we're saying, in that it's a very much a mixed media. People yeah, yeah. use stop motion in that case with digital, but yeah. actually, what Harryhausen's known for well, building on O'Brien's is things like is is the kind of dynamation, is putting live action and and stop motion together, right? Yes, yes. Uh, I suppose my get out here is that um, the nature of this this um, fantasy animation project means that uh, we can do Harryhausen when we do fantasy. But yes, all right. Uh, yeah, but right. yes, you're body. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there is a Harryhausen and. It's difficult because we don't want to lapse into a great man narrative of, of the way in which animation has unfolded. But certainly Harryhausen, um, Jason and the and the Argonauts and, and um, other films where there are, I suppose, part of that tradition, that Willis O'Brien tradition, that King Kong tradition of, of stop motion effects within a broader live action film uh, can't be ignored. Okay, so it sounds like what we're saying here is that actually it's a paradox in that it's both very complicated and labour intensive, yes. but also has a kind of homely homemade, down-to-earth quality at exactly the same time and different studios, different periods lean on those two yeah. identities at different points and all that yeah, yeah. Kind of and stuff. I would say there are step, definitely writers on on um, that sort of domestication of the handmade um, yeah, so okay. Rachel Mosley's book Handmade Television speaks a lot to that sort of tabletop um, and gendered way of thinking about stop motion right. um, so what I, are some of the quick one of the examples that she talks about in that book or? Uh, so she talks about um, Bagpuss which oh, yeah. is also the, the, the topic of, a, of another project that, yeah. that Chris Pallant's working on um, but that sort of yeah tabletop cool. stop motion is, is something that one can do at home one yeah. doesn't need to be um, at Glendale, California. Sure. Okay, well, you've got 40 seconds. Any um, good texts for people to go to? Um, other, of course, the Rachel Mosley you've just mentioned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Else, so um, definitely for, Rachel's book, um, because it deals with television, and television animation mm-hmm. is, is sort of under underwritten about, um, I think, more, more broadly. Um, Chris Pallant's work on... on um, Small films who yep. produced Bagpuss and, and so forth. That's not out yet, but maybe out by the time this comes out. I don't know. Uh, and I would also say um, Suzanne Buchan's writing on the Quay Brothers, where she sort of is a more, offers a more philosophical understanding of the potential of uh, an interdisciplinary uh, way of thinking about stop motion. Am I done? Yeah, you are. We haven't mentioned the Quay Brothers. With seven seconds yet, I would say check them out. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, that's been us for another episode. Uh, any suggestions for future uh, footnote episodes, questions, key terms, problems, ideas that you're having? Yeah. Um, or if you just want us to sort of slow down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, ten, the 10 minute format makes that difficult, but we'll do our best. Yes. Um, let us know. Fananim Research, F A N A N I M Research at gmail.com. And that's the same handle for our Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram accounts as well. Um, we'll see you next time. Bye. Thank you.